writer, director, and Gemini, but almost a cancer. Woo! It's Gemini season, baby! Gear up! It's a fucking chaotic season. Uh, I'm Gabby Dunn. I'm a writer, bicon, bisexual icon, wink, and newly minted redhead. Hello, everyone. Wow, I do enjoy your red hair. I didn't get to say anything, but it looks nice. Thank you! Um, it's uh, Haley Williams from Paramore. It's her company. And that bitch knows red hair. Yeah, do they only sell red hair? They don't. They sell a lot of different colors. I got pink too, but I kind of, I like being a redhead. I feel that that is the true me. Because your mom's a redhead. Yeah. I just feel like it matches me. I don't know. Plus it was, I was overdue for a crazy color. Do you have to bleach it ahead of time or no? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I be, I bleached it with their lightener and then uh, also bleached from a, st- from a drugstore. So you and bleached then- your whole head by yourself? Oh, no. Cheyenne helped me. My sister. So, uh, oh, I can't do shit. Cheyenne should go to beauty school. She's really good at this stuff. She should. Oh, my God. She should. Have you told her that? Yes. And me and my family used to try to push her to go to beauty school when she was in high school because we were like, this bitch is not going to college. But um, yeah, so she did. She did this. She did a great job. Um, But I, I got pink. So maybe it'll be pink later in the summer. But I hadn't had a crazy color in a while. And it's quarantine. So you gotta. Are you afraid when you bleach your your head that you're going to bleach your whole body by accident and then die? Yeah. (laughs) This is Just Between Us, a variety show filled with heartfelt advice, ridiculous games, and brutal honesty. So how do you you feel that it's Gemini season? We are both Geminis, by the way. Please uh, don't turn off this podcast just because we're both Geminis. I understand that that is a lot. So your birthday, I mean, it might have, it might be close to your birthday. Your birthday might have passed or something, but your birthday is June 20th. Mm-hmm. My birthday is June 1st. Right. So Gemini season is actually like the season of chaos, making crazy decisions, being impulsive. All inside your own home. I know. How are we going to do it? How will you achieve it? I guess you start an OnlyFans account. <laughs> I honestly, I, you know what I hate? Can I do, can I do a rant for a second? Sure. Okay. I hate that OnlyFans is like mainstream now or becoming like this thing that like celebrities are talking about when they've never had to do sex work or like want like people who have never done sex work should not be putting OnlyFans in their songs. And that's a read on Beyonce. Yes, I'm a Gemini. Guess what? It's chaos. Time to criticize Beyonce. But like, you can't do that. They're going to cancel our podcast. I'm just I love her, but I'm just saying that I find it. I find it annoying that OnlyFans was so stigmatized. And then all of a sudden celebrities talk about it. And now it's like a mainstream thing. And I just think we can't be saying it as a punchline unless we destigmatize sex work. Thank you. That's Gemini season. You read Beyonce. You what Beyonce? Read her like um, criticize her. Oh, (laughs) so is OnlyFans is that what it is exclusively or is it just paid content I'm so glad you asked okay so OnlyFans is for sex workers and it started as such but now that they're getting more popular they've started doing these things this this outreach where they're like OnlyFans is like Patreon it's for everybody it's not just sex work and like it's this like um, clearly pushing off the people who created the platform not being grateful to the people that like basically gave the platform its name and started it and just trying to distance themselves from sex work, even though that's clearly what they were initially for. And like that sucks. And I feel like it's going to push, they're going to start restricting like content. I feel like the way Snapchat did or does. And like, it's just shitty because as soon something is used by sex workers. And then as soon as it's used, as soon as people find out about it, the, the platform itself is like, no, 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 and like it it just causes like more problems of like where where are they going to go to be able to do their stuff and if OnlyFans starts being like reaching out I don't know it just seems ungrateful to their initial subscriber base like it seems like no 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 that's not what we're for oh you found out about us just kidding just kidding and like I hate it so they're now trying to change what they're about yeah they're sort of trying to be like oh anyone can join an OnlyFans and like but that's not saying that you can't 
continue to use it for sex work. Uh, I'm just, hoping that that will be the case. Yeah, it's just worrisome because I've seen some people be like, oh, no, they've started the little yeah. backtracking press. You know what I mean? And that's always kind of worrying. I find all press to be worrying. <laughs> <laughs> we got a great episode for you guys this week. I'm so glad I was allowed to rant about that. Okay, so this week we're talking to Rasha Pecorero, co-host of the podcast Root of Evil. Uh, and if you haven't heard Root of Evil, pause, go listen to it, and then come back. Yeah, we'll see you in seven hours. (laughs) Exactly. And later, we're going to be discussing the anti-diet movement, a new way of thinking about our bodies and dieting. Ooh, Ooh. I picked that one because I saw it on Jezebel. Okay. (laughs) But first, hit it. International question. International question. International question. Trista Washington. I kind of love the name Trista. It's fun. Do you think that's her full name? Is it like Christina? I don't know. Is it like a, a nickname? Could it be short for something? Catatrinas? Okay, anyway. <clears throat> Trista, full name, says, What do you think of societal expectations of romantic timelines? Wow. I feel like there's always commentary on people's relationships and how quickly they reach certain milestones, like moving in together or getting engaged slash married. And often it's a negative judgment if couples move too fast, whatever that means. So I'm just wondering what you think about this. Was this something you've ever worried about? And how do you think people can overcome this concern and just do whatever the hell makes them happy? Okay. So I know you have a lot of thoughts about this. I I do. I'm judgmental. Wow. Okay. So share more. And a hypocrite. Um, (laughs) I, (laughs) that's it. End of show. Uh, I have a friend who just got divorced. Like just, just, just. Uh, I actually have two friends that just got divorced and are engaged. What are their full names? They know who they are. (laughs) And, and they just got engaged again. And my first, one of them, when I saw it, I went, I was like, oh good. And I was happy for her. And one of them, I saw it and went, this is a disaster. Really? And what was the difference? (sighs) Uh, one of them I feel was the victim in their, in their divorce, like, was like the person who got fucked over. So I was happy for her to have Mm -hmm. found love again. Uh, And she's a little bit older. So I was like, okay, great. Like they found each other good for them. And then the other one was the quote unquote bad person in their divorce. Oh, I know who you're talking about. (laughs) Yeah. And, um, and then like, is like engaged to this Mm -hmm. new person. And I was like, I, Part of me was like, oh, ma'am, this is what I said to my partner because I'm a judgy bitch. I was like, oh, uh, uh, getting engaged is not going to fix what's wrong with you. <laughs> like, you have not done any reflection on why you're, you've gone through this first breakup and na- of, of a marriage and now you're engaged again. And I was like, oh, babe, I have bad news. Like, this is going to catch up with you. But then, but so, but it was too... I felt it was it was too fast. Now, here's why I'm a hypocrite. Because I was with my last girlfriend for three months and we had multiple matching tattoos. And also, I had another you mean girl- within three months, you had multiple tattoos? Yes. You were with it, her for longer than that. For a year and a half, yeah. yeah. And then also, I dated a girl and three months in, I bought her two cats. Not bought, I adopted her two cats. Yeah, but those were her cats. They weren't your cats. Yeah, but I got them for her. Yeah, but like your friend could get you cats. I don't think you should get anyone a pet as a gift, even though Beans was a gift from an ex-girlfriend. I just think there's certain things where I'm like, yikes. But then like it's hard when you're in it to also be like yikes to yourself. I have, I used to be very strict about these rules and thought about it all the time and was like very worried about it. Um, And then Jake and I moved in together after only six months, which was hilarious because he clearly cared a lot about it, too, and was like, we're not moving in together until eight months. And I was like, "Okay." And so he told his roommates that it was going to be like at the end of September or something. But then like we came back from a vacation and he like never left my apartment. So we technically moved in together after six months. But he was like so worried about the appearance of that, that like he needed in his head to think it was officially at eight months. That's um. why it's so individual. Mm-hmm. And like, I'm sure, and like, I don't mean to whatever, but I'm sure people looked at, at you guys and are like, oh my God, that was so fast, you know? You know what's really weird is that 
we have not, I mean, maybe people are lying to our faces, but nobody, even including my parents, has ever acted like we were moving too fast. And I think it was because of like the life stage that we're in. Mm-hmm. And this is what I've really grown to realize is that it is, like you said, it's so personal in terms of like where you are in your journey with yourself. Mm-hmm. So if you're in a place where you are like, settled and you know what you want and you're stable and you've experienced enough relationships to know what a good relationship is and what it is you're looking for long term then I think like power to you you know like get married after a month I don't give a fuck like I I think (laughs) and there's people that like okay when our grandparents are like I met I met your grandfather one time and I knew he was my future husband and we were engaged after three days. And everyone's like, oh, we love it because it's been like 45 years. But then like I think back to that time and like that's kind of what you you had to do. Like you weren't going to like now as we're older, people like wait longer and longer to get married. But at in the 50s, it would be like, what? You've been together a year and you're not married? I think that the issue now is that this idea of like one foot in, one foot out where it's mm-hmm. like. I don't know if this is the right thing. Like, I'm not sure. I There might be something better out there. There's always this search for something better out there. Yeah. Whereas I think a healthy relationship is a lot of just like, who knows what, what is out there? But I am choosing to pick you. I am choosing to commit to you. Yes. And then let's make this life work. So here's the thing. I, and maybe this is bad and impulsive and like not the way to live life. But for me, and I've been talking to my partner a lot about this. You can't ever know what the right choice is. You really Mm -hmm. can't. You have to, that's what life is. You have to just keep making decisions and not making a decision is making a decision. So you can't know if marrying someone or if moving in with someone is the right decision. Ultimately in the long, like you could be like, yes, it's the right decision for me now. And then in five years, who fucking knows? But like you, you have to keep making choices because that's how life works. Like you can't, you have to just keep deciding. Did I know moving to LA was going to be the right thing? No, but I, you got to just keep making choices. But I also think that there's different levels of self-awareness and the more Mm -hmm. self-aware you are, the better you are informed to make a choice. So that's why I think it's really important to like do the work of figuring out what you want, what you want your life to look like, what your partner wants their life to look like, what your values are. And then that's a much more informed choice, even though still you can't predict the future. There's like more, you know, information there. I think you have to be on the same page because you can't pressure someone into going too fast. And also I worry because I mean, how well do you really know? How well do you really know the person? Like it gets to like, you know, people who, I mean, my ex-girlfriend and I, we were like, you know, so obsessed with each other. And then like stuff went down that I didn't like, it was, she was changing as a person. And like, I don't, I didn't really know, um, like I was down for the ride, uh, but she was not interested in having me down for the ride. And like, I think... I th- I think like we maybe moved really quickly and I don't know because it's hard because it feels good at the time to like be mm-hmm. moving like that. And then, you know, in hindsight, you're like, oh, well, one of like the biggest like lessons in like cognitive behavioral therapy is getting rid of shoulds and musts yeah. Um, yeah. and like these arbitrary rules. So like mm-hmm. this idea of like at And at one and a half years is when you get engaged. And at two years is when you get married. Like all of that, like thinking that way just like really debilitates our happiness. Yeah. And makes us super judgmental. And so in terms of like, how do you not care if other people are judging you? You sort of just have to assume other people are judging you and like, who cares? (laughs) Oh, my God. And I found out much later that people were like, oh, my God, they're going to get married and it's going to be a disaster. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like. Because I asked my current partner, because we've known each other for years and, like, we're friends. And I I was like, did you think, like, oh, my God, this is going to implode? And they were like, no, I thought you guys were going to be together forever and it was going to suck. How how was it going to suck? They felt that I was cleaning up her messes a lot and, like, Mm. walking behind her sort of, like, cleaning up her like she would just, like, knock down buildings and I'd be behind her, like, building back the buildings or whatever. Um, which is sort of true, but I, I was like, so in it, like she talked about like proposing to me, like we went to look at rings at like four months. Like it was like, and, and you never I, told me that. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. We went to a jewelry store to look at rings. And so I, 
I, I do appreciate caution. I do appreciate like going slow and because like you don't know. I feel like I rush into stuff. And then like a year and a half in, I'm like, oh, no. Like, <laughs> yeah, but like so that's something that you can know about yourself. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's your self-awareness so that when you're in a relationship, you can say, I tend to move too fast. Therefore, I'm not going to do that this time. Versus if that's not a history that you have and then you meet somebody and you're both 35 and you both want to start a family mm -hmm. and you feel connected, you have had the deep discussions, you know what your future wants to be mm -hmm. and they align, then, mm -hmm. you know, six months might be a long enough time before you get engaged. There's a lot of factors at work, you know, like fertility is often an issue, mm -hmm. maybe potentially health insurance, things like, okay, you're going to move for a, a job, but I don't feel comfortable moving with you unless we're engaged. There's so many different factors that mm -hmm. to judge another couple, it's just our pettiness. It's just like, mm -hmm. sometimes it's true concern and that's valid. But for the most part, it's just like watching reality TV in real life mm -hmm. and just like judging people's choices for no reason. And oftentimes I'm like, oh my God, these people are so young, but I'm holding them to my own standard. Like, mm -hmm. I'm like, oh my God, you're getting married in your mid-20s? Holy shit. But like, I I couldn't do that. But that doesn't mean that other people can't. I just think the biggest <laughs> takeaway is that you have to do what's right for you and then you have to just let go of caring about other people's judgment because you can't control that. And there's tons of people that followed all the right rules and mm -hmm. dated for five years and mm -hmm. then get divorced after one year. And there's people who meet, get married almost immediately and are together forever. And every, every choice is a choice and even not choosing is a choice. Like you can't ever know. So you just uh. got to go on what you know that day. <laughs> I'd argue again, <laughs> let's look for some self-awareness. Let's do some true evaluation. Let's have open and honest conversations with our partner mm -hmm. um, and then make your choice. Yeah. Every choice is a choice and no choice is a choice. Put that on a shirt. Did you like discover this saying yesterday? You said it like five times today. Are you working for a campaign where that's their <laughs> slogan? I'm trying to get it into the zeitgeist so they hear it somewhere else and go, Gabby's right. <laughs> if you want to submit your international question, send it to justbetweenuspod at gmail.com. That's justbetweenuspod at gmail.com. Up next, we've got a juicy interview with our highly esteemed guest, Rasha Pecorero. So stay tuned. And remember, no choice is also a choice. That's good. Just between us. Hey. Just between us. Welcome back to Just Between Us. It's time for the juiciest, most scandalous, controversial segment known to all of podcasting. Tough questions. This week we've got uh, Rasha Pecorero, who is uh, the uh, one of the creators of the Root of Evil podcast. Um, and if you haven't listened to it, like I said earlier, just pause this podcast. Come back in seven hours when you've finished Root of Evil. Um, hello, Rasha. Mahalo. Thank you so much. I'm honored. You two are phenomenal humans and I'm excited to be here. Oh, thank you. I'm blushing, but you can't see. Um, <laughs> I, I can't see. <laughs> Could you give a little background of what this podcast is and, and who you are and, and what part of a fa what family you're a part of? <laughs> uh, sure, no problem. So as you said, my name is Rasha Pecorero. I am the youngest daughter of Fauna Hodel. And my older sister, my only sister, uh, Yvette Gentile, and I are co-hosts of Root of Evil, the true story of the Hodel family and the Black Dahlia. So I was actually born Rasha Hodel since my parents weren't married. And um, this podcast is about my mom and her incredible life story and how it intersects with the most infamous unsolved murder in American history the murder of Elizabeth Short, a.k.a. the Black Dahlia. And unfortunately, my mom passed away from breast cancer in September 2017. But it was almost like she knew that she was not going to be here. And she literally recorded everything. So we had all this amazing, you know, archival audio that she left us. And, you know, she realized her dream 11 days before she died from breast cancer, she signed the final deal with TNT and Patty Jenkins and made the TV show, I Am The Night, which is a limited TV series that aired on TNT. 
And so my sister and I, like we lost mom September, 2017, literally six weeks later, we were on the set of I am the night on Warner brothers studio lot with Chris Pine and India Isley. And then we were approached by TNT and Cadence 13 to make a companion podcast to I am the night. Thus root of evil was born. And that's the short story. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So you weren't even looking to, to share the story more. They came to you. They did. They came to us. And absolutely. We, we were always looking to share the story more. Patty Jenkins was, and still is, she was an amazing friend of our mom's for over a decade. So we knew that the TV show was always going to happen, Mm. but we, we know like, I Am the Night is just loosely based on our mom's novel, One Day She'll Darken, which is, it just covers the first, you know, 28 years of our mom's life. But I Am the Night literally just watches her when she's a teenager. Like so much more has happened. And because our mom left us like these gems of these audio tapes, we're like, oh my, we knew we were going to do something, but we weren't in that mindset because we were literally on the set, you know, for most of, 2017 and 2018. So we were just in TV show mode. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then when they approached us, Zach Levitt, who runs um, C13 Originals with Cadence 13, he's like a godsend. Like he, we like think he's like our brother that like mom gave birth to, but just didn't know it. (laughs) (laughs) He's he's so amazing. And he, he held our hands through the entire process because it was some deep and dark and dirty stuff, you know, like it, it, I mean, you, you listen to it. It it was a lot. Can you explain to our listeners the, your family's connection with George Hodel and and George Hodel's connection to the Black Dahlia? Absolutely. So again, long story short, um, my mom, Fauna Hodel was given up for adoption in 1951. And her birth certificate said she was half African-American and that she was mixed. So she was given up to an African-American family, raised in Reno, Nevada, or Sparks, a small town out of Reno. And she ended up finding her birth mom, Tamar Hodel, in Honolulu, Hawaii. In <laughs> She actually found her in the 70s, and I'm the night, the time frame's a little bit skewed. But when she found her birth mother and flew there and met her, Tamar told my mom, not only was she not half black, but she might possibly be the product of incest because Tamar was, you know, she was intimate with her own father, George Hodel, who was an infamous doctor in Hollywood um, and in all throughout Los Angeles. And she told him, or she told my mom that day when she met her, you know, all this stuff like, oh my God, you know, you might be the product of incest. Plus, you know, he was accused of killing Elizabeth Short, the Black Dahlia, which was this gruesome, horrible, disgusting murder that if any of your listeners Google it and go down that rabbit hole, you can never unsee those photos. It was mm-hmm. really grotesque. I mean, of course, it was grotesque that Tamar was so open about saying she had, you know, a relationship with her own, a sexual relationship with her own father. But my mom that day was just like, I'm sorry, what? Like, mm-hmm. you know, like her whole... Her whole identity and her life was shattered in an instant because now, you know, she was never black enough. She was never white enough. And now she's told she's not black at all, which totally ripped her identity from her. And then she finds out she might be the product of incest. But um, we, we didn't know for sure, you know, about if George was my mom's father or not. We did do some DNA before my mom passed and we, we got some evidence back forensic evidence that 23andMe did. And 98% he's not, it's proved he's not my mother's father. Um, However, it's not something that could hold up in court. So we're still like on the journey to figure out who the hell our mom's actual biological father was. And my my sister and I, because George, you know, his best friends were Man Ray, the famous surrealist artist, and Henry Miller, the poet, and John Houston, the director. And it's like, everything was so convoluted and George had these crazy wild parties in his home, um, which is called the Southern house, which we refer to as the Franklin house, but it's this infamous, like crazy Lloyd Wright home um, on Franklin Avenue in Hollywood. I've been and there. I went he, to it. Oh my God. Have you? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, I went. It's, oh. it's like so 
it's you can pass it on Franklin Avenue and you know immediately. It's so distinct looking. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it looks like a volcano. And we actually, mm-hmm. we filmed there for I Am The Night. Like, I've been there several times. We recorded an episode of Root of Evil there that just, we had so much stuff. Because as you said, like, you press pause, go listen to Root of Evil, you're gone for seven hours. Mm-hmm. But we, we even recorded a, um, an episode there that ended up on the cutting room floor because there was just so much stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, and it's freaky. <laughs> <laughs> I just find what's so interesting about this story is like the nature versus nurture of everything and what it was like for your mom to find out that her grandfather and potentially her father who Mm -hmm. at the time would maybe have been the same person was a a serial killer because there's proof that he's killed other people too right right so it's not like oh maybe he just killed the black dahlia like he's definitely a killer yeah yeah for sure yeah, my, my great uncle Steve Hodel wrote several books and he's detailed many killings. Um, and in my humble opinion, I believe George killed multiple people. I do too. Um, and yeah. I, but also, so that also that part of it is so fascinating that his own son did an investigation into his dad trying to prove that he wasn't the killer only to uncover that he was <laughs> and then go public right. with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that's not totally messed up, but yeah, <laughs> right. totally. I mean, you know, and Yvette and I, my sister, like we grew up always knowing, you know, about it. And I, I questioned Tamar my entire life because I was actually born and raised in Honolulu because they ended up moving there when my mom got pregnant because my sister is gorgeous. She's, you know, bi, she is biracial and, you know, straight and beautiful, married to an amazing man. And then I'm this blonde hair, blue eyed, you know, I never consider myself white, but I think the public would consider me that. And my mom wanted to raise us both in the most beautiful place on the planet. Um, And, you know, I ended up coming out, you know, 11 years ago and she like loved us unconditionally. Like talk about nature versus nurture. Our Mm -hmm. mom was one of the most phenomenal, beautiful, kind human beings you would ever meet. Like she loved both my sister and I unconditionally. And honestly, she loved everyone she met. She was just the best of the best of the best. So can you talk about the nature versus nurture of it all? Like, what did you discover about that through doing the show? You know, we always knew through, you know, prior to doing Root of Evil, my sister and I had always heard, you know, the stories and our mom didn't have a filter, but at the same time, she kept us very protected. And, you know, other members of the Hodel family participated, you know, in Root of Evil and shared their own stories, which, you know, I, I wouldn't want to repeat here because it's their story to tell, but you can absolutely hear everything that happened to them on Root of Evil. But essentially, Tamar, who was abused by George, ended up repeating all of that abuse and then some. And I, I, I didn't know to what extent until I listened to, you know, the stories that were told on the show. And I'm like, I, I could barely breathe when I heard everything. And, and talk about nature versus nurture, like Tamar always, in my opinion, always lived her life as a victim. And I think in her mind, she was like, you know, she repeated things because it was done to her and she never took any responsibility for it. And like my mom, you know, she was abused as well, you know, from her adoptive mother, even though she loved her more than anything, but our mom never even raised her voice at us. You know, like she just, she almost kind of walked around kind of fairy-like and she didn't even seem real. Like she was the type of woman that if I didn't feel well and I'd say, mom, you know, I I really don't feel good. I have a, you know, the the flu or I'm sick. She'd be like, don't put that into the universe, Rasha. (laughs) Like you're going (laughs) to manifest being sick. I'm like, mom, I'm sick. I'm throwing up. I don't feel well. And she'd be like, no, 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 no. Like she, she went the polar opposite way. And she, she really stood up to Tamara a lot too, because you know, she wanted to get to know her. And so, you know, she raised Yvette Knight in Hawaii and, you know, we were a part of that family and that family dynamic was so messed up, but mom just sheltered us and loved us. And she, she gave us a gift of her love, whereas Tamar didn't give that to anyone else that, you know, that I, that I know of, you know, mm-hmm. and our mom chose the light and I believe Tamar chose the dark and George, of course, chose the dark. And I don't know a whole lot about his upbringing 
other than, you know, what's been written in Steve's books. But I just believe that you have the choice. You, any person has a choice to choose the light instead of the dark or choose good versus evil. I truly believe that. Have you ever worried that you have like a serial killer's genes inside of you? Oh my God. That's the funniest question ever because I, um, (laughs) like my whole life, especially like, you know, I'm 41. So like when, you know, the internet kind of, you know, started and like, you could do like a Yahoo, like search, like one of the first things I looked up was, you know, the black doll, your murder images. And Mm -hmm. I was like, from that moment, I was like, oh my God. And I'm not, I'm a Disney Harry Potter girl, you know, like I am not (laughs) someone who's normally obsessed with true crime in any shape or form. But of course that runs through your veins, you know? And when I looked at those photos, like the first immediate thing I felt was absolute disgust. And I just felt, and I think the same thing that my mom felt, my mom, you know, always felt that she wanted to, you know, honor the victims and honor George's victims and Elizabeth Mm -hmm. Short. And so like, for me, I think I've gone the polar opposite way, you know, because I'd never want to think, oh my God, I have this serial killer's blood running through my veins. Because I've definitely thought that like, oh my God, you know, I am a descendant of George Hodel. And, you know, my whole life up until, you know, when we did that DNA, I thought like I had even extra DNA from him because he might right. also be my grandfather and great grandfather. But, you know, I, I, yeah, I, I've, absolutely worried about that but it's almost like our mom you know she just gave us so much love and light that it just overpowers all the rest of that bs can you speaking of the the victims can you tell do you, can you tell our listeners a little bit about elizabeth short and like what the situation was because they might not know the black dahlia story yeah yeah and um, and i you know and it's kind of kind of funny because like I try not to, to focus on, you know, like, it's just, it's hard not to get caught up in the sensationalism of Elizabeth Short, but like, she was, she was a beautiful young girl. Like, I don't even consider her like a, like a woman. Like she was a young girl. Like she was in her early twenties. She was an aspiring actress, you know, and, you know, I don't know if she was a sex worker at the time or not, but that does not mean she deserved to be murdered. Right. But what I believe is that George had many girlfriends. (laughs) And I mean, you know, he ended up having, you know, 12 children from five different women, but he was always in polyamorous relationships that I know of. And if anybody turned him down, that's when his wrath would come. And I think my little, you know, scenario is that I think because there, there is different, you know, proofs and tidbits of proof that they knew each other. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of it is circumstantial, but I think that she probably just brushed off his advances and he just went ballistic. And I don't think that was his, you know, first murder, of course, because mm-hmm. I think by that time he had already been accused of killing his secretary. Right. Um, yeah, and I just think that her... Her life was cut short and she was murdered in the most gruesome way possible. And I I don't think it was personal. I think it was George trying to prove something to Man Ray and kind of one up his surrealist, you know, friends that they would do like crazy snuff films and, you know, just do all these crazy things at that home. And her life was taken way too soon and, you know, her body was left on, you know, the side of the road and posed like a famous Man Ray photograph. Like, it was horrific. And I honestly, I, I didn't know the, the, the details of what was done to her until I listened to Read of Evil and I heard everything from her report of when she died. Yeah. And I like literally that I like wanted to throw up. Like, and I was supposed to read those lines and I literally told Zach, I'm like, um... Zach, I don't think I, I, I'm like, nope, I can't even yeah. and it, like it makes. Yeah. So they hired an, um, someone to do it for us. Yeah. And she got, I mean, so it's like, also yeah. a thing with like media sensationalism where she got dubbed the Black Dahlia because it was like 
the some newspaper yeah some newspaper mm-hmm. was like you know oh my god it'll like be more sensational if we call it like the black dahlia case and then that's kind of taken right. off but like it was and it became like a, a sensation in LA like this big crime story in Los Angeles that like really Oh, yeah. Got spun into this huge thing. And it's known as, even though we're talking about George Hodel, it's known as like a very famous unsolved crime. Although it's unsolved because they right. weren't really able to get enough evidence on this one person that everyone kind of agrees was the, the killer. He was always the number one suspect. Mm-hmm. And he just, he was, you know, the top venereal disease doctor in LA. And he had dirt on everybody. So he was untouchable. Mm, and right. we, you know, um, yeah. And my sister and I, and my great uncle Steve, we did the Today Show last year. And I think the last thing, I think the LAPD were contacted by the Today Show, and they said, you know, it's still an open investigation, but they wouldn't comment on, you know, any of the findings that that Steve has found. But I, from my understanding, I believe Steve even has DNA. I mean, like, it could be a solved case. It's it's sad. And like what you were saying earlier, like about how Elizabeth Short was dubbed the Black Dahlia because, you know, of her hair and this, you know, big Dahlia that she would wear. Um, people forget what her name was. Yes, You know, exactly. like, they're like, like, oh, Black Dahlia. And like, I, I have been in so many interviews and they're like, oh, Elizabeth Smart. I'm like, no, no, no. no. <laughs> like, her name, oh I'm like, that God. was a different time. And she, she's, she's alive. Oh my God. I'm like, but, but Elizabeth Short, you know, you know, may she rest in peace. Right. Like, like even like before my mom, you know, died and before she got the deal with, with Patty, you know, she was on, you know, ghost adventures and she was always like just on this path. Like she just wanted to shed light and give, you know, Elizabeth peace. And, mm. you know, and even, even Tamar to give Tamar peace because Tamar was, you know, she actually went on trial and accused George of, you know, raping her and he was acquitted. Like, and there were adult witnesses. Like, it's just, it boggles my mind, the things that he was able to get away with. And, but I do think that karma is taking care of it. Like, even though we say, yes, it's the most infamous unsolved murder in American history, uh, you know, I believe it's solved. That was the other part of the podcast that was so shocking was that trial. And I wonder if if her not being believed despite having multiple people saying I was in the room and I saw him do it. If that, if that pushed her to forget about the light and embrace the dark because her attempt at the truth was not listened to or was ignored. I think that you absolutely hit the nail on the head. That's what my, my sister very much, you know, she, she always saw Tamar in that light. Like, you know, she had no, chance basically. Mm-hmm. And for me, like, I just, no matter what's been done to you, like, I, I believe that you can make a better choice. I mean, like I even realized like recording Root of Evil, like I, I'm a super open book and like almost too much into a fault. <laughs> and for me, I realized, especially, you know, hearing about all the sexual abuse and incest that, that went on in our family and in our history, like my dad, beat the shit out of me until I was 21. Mm-hmm. And I wow. didn't, I didn't vocally thank God my, my dad and my, my mom weren't together for, they were only together a few years. He's been with my stepmom ever since um, I was like five years old, but I didn't tell anyone until I was 21 years old. And I think it's because, and I realized it recording Root of Evil with my family members that in my head, like I rationalized it. I was like, well, it's not sexual abuse. It's not incest. So, you know, my father was just an asshole and, you know, it was emotional, physical, and verbal. Um, and I, I just didn't have a voice because I was like, oh, well, it's not, it's not that bad, but any type of abuse is bad. And like, I haven't repeated that. Like my wife and I have a daughter together. Like I've, I feel bad raising my voice to her. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I always try to choose the light. And I, I know it's not, you know, thank God my father, you know, didn't have sex with me, but I mean, he, I definitely like many, many years of therapy I've had to work through to realize it's not my fault and any victim, it's not their fault. What made you finally tell someone at 21? Because I almost died. So the, I was visiting home. My dad was really, really drunk. And, you know, he, was it, you know, I think now he just says pot. I don't know. I haven't talked to him since I told him I was a lesbian in 2009, but, um, (laughs) 
um, at the time, um, he, yeah, he, he was high as a kite and drunk. And I, I had to go pick him up from the bar that he was managing at the time. And, um, it was the worst he'd ever beat me up. Like I almost died. And I was supposed to be in the recording studio the next day with him. I was actually, um, in a singing group with him, not by choice, but if it was, you know, I mean, I don't know if either of you have had abuse in your lives, but I kind of just did whatever my father told me even till I was 21. Mm -hmm. And, um, I, I couldn't hide it. I had two black eyes. I had scrapes and blood all over my face. And, you know, I, I told my, my stepmom, um, and then, you know, I called, you know, home because my, um, my mom had moved to LA at that point and my sister was in San Francisco and I, I told both of them. And what was their reaction? I, I think it was, what was that? I'm sorry. What, what was their reaction? You know, I, I, God, I barely even remember. I just think, I remember my sister being like, you know, he's so lucky that I, I'm not getting on a plane right now to like kill him. Like, cause mm-hmm. she, she hated him for, you know, forever. Um, cause he was such a, he was, a, he was just a jerk. And he like, I can't, if I can compare him to anybody, like the way that he was, like he was kind of like Trump, but he was a Democrat, if that makes any sense. Yeah. But like, he just, he was just real nasty and mean and, and everyone was just like, Oh, that's just him. You know, that's just his character or whatever. But I remember my mom feeling a tremendous amount of guilt because I think I, I hit it, but I don't think I hit it that well, but everyone was really afraid of him when I was growing up. Mm. Um, and so she would always say, you know, well, you always said you wanted to live there. Cause I'd always go back and forth. I was 50, 50. And I, I think she, she carried a lot of guilt with that, but I, I had to tell her like, it's not, it's not her fault. I don't think it's anyone's fault other than the abuser who was my father. Right. You know? Um, and I, I think it was just when I physically, like the only reason I think that he, I didn't die that night is cause he was like, he had me down, holding me down and he was like choking me. Um, and my slipper, I, I don't know if you guys know Hawaiian slippers, like the local slippers, they're really flimsy. You get them for like $2.99 at Safeway or Foodland, but they're real flimsy. And he accidentally like stepped on me and my, my, my slipper like broke like the rubber part and it snapped. And I think he, that like stopped him and he's just like, Oh shit. You know, like, cause he was Whoa. like, he glazed over. Yeah. And he's like, Oh, and he backed down and he just started crying, Whoa. like bawling, crying. Ugh. And that had never happened. And he had never beat me up that bad. Normally it was more shaking and like, you know, a slap across the face or like a, a, like one or two punches, never that much. He was just in a rage that he couldn't stop. And I think after that, I was just like, I'm telling everybody like, you know, it's like, Mm -hmm. it's something like just woke up in me too. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. And it was kind of weird. I mean, like, I ended up having a you know relationship with him still into, until I was 30. And I think he honestly never, other than that day apologizing when he broke down in tears, he didn't apologize again until I was 30 years old. And I was, um, I was on The Biggest Loser. If you guys have Googled me, I was on The Biggest Loser I back in that. 2006. And, oh my God. I got married to my ex-husband on TV. Like it was oh before God. I realized I was a lesbian. Oh my God. Oh my God. Your life yeah, is so nuts, Rasha. <laughs> Oh, it's so nuts. Like, so if you do Google me, don't believe what TMZ said. I did not leave my ex-husband for my wife. We were separated. (laughs) Um, So when we were doing The Biggest Loser, of course, I mean, being on reality TV shows, like you're incredibly vetted. So like you have to do, you have to go to therapists and do all this kind of stuff. And I came home from LA right before I was about to start filming. And, um, you know, I just told my dad, I'm like, yeah, I just was at the psychologist and I had to answer this, you know, all these crazy questions. And, he said, let me guess, you're totally, they told you that you're totally fucked up because of me. And I said, no, they told me they're shocked that I'm not totally fucked up because of you. Yeah. Wow. That must've been like, empowering and, to hear. Yeah. Oh my God. It was amazing. Granted, it was only on the phone, but still I felt very empowered. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. And after that day, when I was 21, I was, I ended up being on the biggest loser when I was 27, but he, you know, he never physically hurt me again. But when I told him in 2009, you know, on the phone that I was a lesbian and I was getting divorced from my husband, um, he actually flew. He told me he was flying from Honolulu to Portland and that he was going to beat the gay out of me. And I haven't talked to him since. 
That is... And he did fly here. I, I do know that. Yeah. Because my ex-husband told me. Oh, my God. And I just stayed away. Yeah. Welcome to my life, girls. Yeah, right? <laughs> well, so I, I, yeah. I just have, I have one more question before we move on. How do you, or like, why do you feel like you can talk about all of this stuff? Because there's like so much shame around family and like, yeah. you know, were you worried that people were going to look at you differently? Or like, how do you, how, why, why do you feel like you can talk about all this stuff? Honestly, I think it's because of my mom. You know, our mom, from the time she was eight years old, she knew that she had to tell the world her life story. So she had no filter at all. And she would tell anybody who would listen. Like, I mean, and I think that's how she made her life dream come true because she didn't want to hide anything from anyone. And she taught us to be proud of who we are, be true to who we are. And I finally just was like, you know what? Like, I, I believe that we all learn from one another by sharing our stories. That's how we evolve as people. And I don't think I should live in shame anymore. And I, I did for a very long time. And I remember, you know, my, my stepmom is Japanese and my dad, you know, he's a big white guy, but he was always like, you have to be more Japanese and just, you know, shut up and be quiet and not tell everybody everything. And I'm like, you know what? Fuck you. I'm going to like, I am just going to be unapologetically me because no one can take away my truth. And I want to empower other people to be who they are, you mm -hmm. know? And it's like, if I'm not hurting anyone. I'd never try to like, like if my father were to listen to this podcast or whatever, like I'm just speaking the truth, you know, like, right. I think it's our power. And it took me a long time to realize that. And of course, you know, like, you know, like not having a relationship with my dad, you know, it's been 11 years now and my mom, you know, being dead, like I, I feel like I'm an orphan, but at the same time, I believe that's also my power. Like I have an amazing wife and daughter and an amazing sister and an amazing support system that makes me strong, but I just want to empower other people to share their story because it truly is your superpower. And to know that your story doesn't dictate your future, that you have been able yeah. to break this cycle of abuse. I think, I mean, I think that's so inspiring, especially since we mm, do, were discussing nature versus nurture on your mom's side, only to find out that your dad was evil too. Yeah. Oh, he was awful. Yeah. <laughs> like horrible. I mean, and it was so weird because it was such a yin and yang because I always went back and forth, you know, but mm -hmm. I knew he was wrong. Like, and I think, honestly, I think that's why I didn't come out because I knew I was a lesbian from the time I was little, but I'm super feminine. Like the only thing stereotypically gay about me is that I, you know, I play softball and I've played competitive softball since I was seven. <laughs> but I, I, I knew that if I came out, cause he was super homophobic, I knew that like, I would have been dead. Like I literally would have been dead. So I think I came out in a safe space and in a safe time. Well, I'm so glad that you were able to get there and that that you have such a, I've seen on Instagram, a beautiful daughter and wife. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, I, I love, I'm madly in love with them. I mean, our life is not perfect, but I, I am so thankful for everything that I have. Aww. I feel stupid saying this, but do you want to play a game show? <laughs> oh my God, yes. Great. <laughs> no, you do not feel stupid. I'm a total dork. I love all of it. Ah, <laughs> Well, this game is called Hypotheticals. You and Gabby are the contestants. I'm going to give you a series of hypothetical situations. You can ask as many questions as you want and then tell me what you would do in that situation. Um, and then I just decide if I like your answer. Okay. okay. <laughs> Completely arbitrarily. Oh, boy. So the first game is would you lie or tell the truth? Okay. You find out that your sister accidentally killed Mitch McConnell in a hit and run. Amazing. Would you lie or tell the truth when she asks you to provide an alibi? I would provide an alibi. 100%. Absolutely. I would hope, I would hope she did it on purpose. <laughs> oh, my God. This goes against everything my mom ever taught me, but I would 100% lie, especially for my sister and especially for Mitch McConnell. Yep. <laughs> oh, my God. We're... Oh, my God. Well, you know what? That's the right answer. Woo! And that was the only answer I was going to accept. Yes. <laughs> you said the buzzwords. Uh, Sister, me, Mom. Mitch McConnell, we're out. We're done. I know. <laughs> Finished. Deuces. Okay. Our next game is, are you a terrible parent? 
Your seven-year-old oh. child does some Googling without supervision and uncovers an article you wrote before they were born about hating children and never wanting to have kids. <laughs> when oh they God. confront you about it, you say you never wrote it and it is clearly a smear campaign set up by that awful coworker of yours, Janice. Your child oh. then trolls Janice online. Are you a terrible parent? For the record, Janice really sucks. Oh my God. Rasha? Uh, okay, I'll go first, Gabby. All right. I, um, oh shit. <laughs> this is what I get in, this is what I get in trouble for. And what my wife, Anna gets mad at me because I have no filter with our eight year old. Mm -hmm. So I would probably tell the truth, but because we are in a hypothetical game, I would totally have to say I, um, Oh my God, I can't even do it. I'd probably tell her, I'd probably like break down and tell her everything and just be like, but Janice is a horrible person. Like I, <laughs> I blame it all on her and then say, yeah, I just, it, it, yeah, the truth is honey that yes, I did say that, but I wanted to have babies when I met your mom. So there you go. Ha -ha. <laughs> yeah. I just feel like people change their minds, you know? No, you've told her it was Janice. Ugh, you're a bad parent then. You, I, I believe in on I know, honesty with I children. I believe in honesty with children. Yeah. Okay, but, but Janice really had it coming. Yeah, well, we can get back at yeah. Janice together as a bonding activity. <laughs> I think that would be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I like that, actually. Okay, so our final game. Is this person an alien or just rude? While at a costume party, one of the guests walks up to you and points at another guest who is dressed as Peppa Pig. The guest who walked up to you says... That costume is going to get her killed. I guarantee it. Is this person an alien or just rude? You are also dressed as Peppa Pig. Wow. Wow. <laughs> oh. Hashtag rude. <laughs> I think rude. <laughs> tricky. I guess rude because how, how do they know? If they're an alien, why do they know Peppa Pig? Right. I mean, hello, mummy. Like, <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh my god! I mean, yeah, I've heard, Peppa Pig has ruled my household. I heard that <laughs> that children are speaking in British accents now because of Peppa Pig. That's what I heard. Oh, my daughter still literally calls me mummy. Yep, <laughs> and we're Hawaiian and Argentine. She's like mummy. I'm like what? No, <laughs> mummy. I'd like yeah. a spot of no, tea. It's true. You're like what? Well, I'll tell you what the real answer is. What? Okay. On what their planet. People no. dressed as pigs get murdered. No, come on. Uh, <laughs> Why? So this it's assumes... Her, it's her game. No, this assumes that... <laughs> Thank you. No, because this assumes that people live on that planet and pigs live on that planet and people dress as pigs on that planet, which is... And why... How the, how the fuck do you know, Gabby? You're right. How that the fuck very well you know how fuck me, right? Okay, fine. Jesus. <laughs> this is what I deal Thank with. Thank you so oh, much for joining us. How can people find out more about you and your work and Root of Evil? Well, thank you so much, Gabby and Allison. You guys are amazing humans oh. or aliens. I don't even know if what, <laughs> what you are. Um, but, <laughs> but of course, you can um, download Root of Evil on Apple Podcasts or anywhere you can get your podcast. And I am on Facebook, Twitter, um, Instagram, Snapchat. I have no idea how to do TikTok, but it's all <laughs> at Rasha Pecorero. R-A-S-H-A-P-E-C-O-R-A-R-O. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. Bye. Thank you. Aloha. Stick around after the break. We'll be talking all about the anti-diet movement. between us it's time for topics x x x x x x x x x baby baby wow okay so what made you choose the anti-diet movement well as you know i've been thinking a lot about like my body and weight and and like trying to sort of like fight against all the instincts i've had since i was a child about mm -hmm. what is good and what's bad and then i mm -hmm. um obviously in getting engaged i started thinking about 
my body and being like, well, I should probably lose that 10 pounds so that I can buy the best dress and so that I can like look the best for my wedding and then I could just gain it back after my wedding, like whatever. Interesting and, instinct. Uh, I think it's very common. Yeah, no, I know. People always choose like a date in the future and they're like, this is when I need to have this wait for. Yeah. And then I saw this article um, from The Knot, which is like a wedding website mm-hmm. that was basically saying that like wedding shedding, which is like shedding the weight, is Got like it. very unhealthy and bad and not something people should do. Oh, wow. Really? <laughs> Breaking fucking news. But it was really cool that a wedding website would send that out, I thought. You would imagine they'd be like, it's the one day of your life that matters the most. And you must do everything you can to make it so perfect. Yeah. Well, I'm saying they could make money. Like they could get clicks of like best wedding diets or whatever. But they like chose not to. So that's totally. interesting. And, and then that's sort of like, I don't know. Then I saw this other article and, and I realized that there's like this um, movement called the anti-diet movement. Right. And it's not about not being healthy. It's very much about being healthy. But it's like points out that this system of going on diets and dieting is like oh it doesn't work it does not work yeah it just causes your weight to like go up and down mm-hmm. it like causes stress it's like it it's like non-sustainable it's like mentally damaging mm-hmm. um and i just think that that's such a great thing and i had i didn't have like the word for it the words for it before the shift into like anti-dieting because I remember oh my god and it's probably still prevalent but I remember like when my mom when I was like in the you know a teenager my mom would be drinking these like you what was it called crystal light or mm-hmm. like when you would like have these like diet drinks or like it would be you know this big thing of like oh I'm just like on a diet or whatever would like be constant like every woman in my life was like on a diet I have to examine a lot of times like my own uh, thoughts on that. I never judge other people, but I judge myself so hard. Mm -hmm. Like I hate that I like look at a picture of myself in the past and be like, oh, so thin. I do that all the time. Oh, my God. I was joking. This is so dark. But I was joking with my partner where I was like. I've like gained weight in quarantine and I'm totally great with it. And I was like, this is great. And I was like, cause I remember saying to my partner, I was like, I remember um, the times when I was the thinnest was when I was the most suicidal. Mm-hmm. And then I was like making a joke being like, you know, you're just trying to get back to suicide skinny. Like it's so bad. Like it's so bad. Like it's like, what if you framed it like that? Like what if I actually was like, I just want to get back to the weight I was when I wanted to die. Like if you framed it like that, you would be like, Oh, no, you don't. Like, that's terrible. I think that my big issue with it is, like, it's always been thought of as, like, skinny is good. It shows you have, like, high moral character and that you have, like, you have willpower, that you take care of yourself and that, and, like, that's all such bullshit. And, like, all of this stuff about, like, some food is good, some food is evil. Like, I was reading more and more about this movement and, like, their whole thing is, like, it's about your body as a whole and what Mm -hmm. is healthy for your body. So like if you want a cupcake, eat that cupcake. But then if you eat four, notice that your body probably feels bogged down and like you might have a stomach ache and like, so it's more about just like listening to what your body genuinely wants and not denying yourself stuff. But sometimes unhealthy food makes you feel bad. So like be aware of that. This is the thing where like Nancy Pelosi called Trump morbidly obese as sort of like a shade we don't need it like there's so much to criticize and like it just sucks like I saw um like Megan Tonjus was tweeting about it who's like a really great um fat positive uh YouTuber and musician and it's just like there's so many other things to go after and also it's not it's not indicative of his moral failing like his racism and sexism and Mm -hmm. like sexual assault allegations are indicative of his moral failings um and I just like You know what I've noticed a lot? Okay. This is also dark. People are passing away from COVID. And then underneath the article will be the comments. And the comments are like, well, they had like a pre-existing, like, look at them. They clearly had diabetes. Or like, look at them. They clearly were like, if the person's even like a little overweight, all the comments are like, well, see, of course. And that is crazy. That is so damaging 
Like, so what? So their life doesn't fucking matter? Like, are you joking? Also, this idea of like the number on this scale equals how healthy you are is just false. Like, It's just not right. It's, it's not true. There's like tons of people who like technically maybe their BMI is like above average, mm-hmm. but they're healthy and they're in great shape and they could run a fucking marathon. Mm-hmm. And then there are people whose BMI is probably below average and they're like can't even walk up a hill. Yeah. Also, a big thing in this movement is that like this is how you become this is dieting is how you create an unhealthy relationship with food that can Mm -hmm. often lead to an eating disorder yes totally and like it's just like and it's so interesting because i've been working so hard to try to try and change my mindset on this and it's still like every time i look in the mirror like i'm i can still see that i am like I'm monitoring my weight always, even though in my brain, I'm like, doesn't matter. It's fine. Like, who cares? Mm-hmm. But it's like, it. I think it has been just so ingrained in us, mm-hmm. like, especially where I grew up, especially my family, that like, it is of all the things I've had to unlearn, this has been the hardest for me. Yeah. And it is still an ongoing process that I'm fighting against. And I think with this wedding coming up, I really feel like this is going to be like my my battle (laughs) you know yeah I mean there's also this like push in the queer community like to be thin and I've noticed it a lot where like there's a lot of jokes about not eating that I've picked up on like a lot in like queer media recently where like okay so I watch a lot of drag race and there's this thing at the at the final four of drag race they go oh you're gonna have lunch with RuPaul and like the the final four, are like, oh my God, amazing. I get to go have lunch with RuPaul. And they go, and the joke is that the H1 has a tic tac on their plate. And that's the I joke. I hate that. And they still do it. And it's not funny. Like, it's <laughs> no. bad. Like, but there's this whole thing of like in the queer community, especially of like not eating or like, oh, I'm about to go to Dinosaur. Like, I'm about to go to like some queer event where I'm going to be half naked. So I need to just be like so thin. I also think quarantine has been like a real focus on weight even more than normal because it's like you're either going to come out of quarantine 15 pounds heavier or ripped and there's no other option. Who gives a shit? Yeah, and people like worrying that they're going to put on like the quarantine weight and like what's it going to be like when they have to see people again? And like it's just like re-energizing this like national conversation about how like any weight gain is so inherently bad and it's so hurtful. And it's so damaging. And I and I would love for more people to look into this anti-diet movement because I think it makes some really good points because it's really about like if you feel good in your body. So yeah. like working out for me is like it really helps my mental health. Mm-hmm. Like so that's great. And I also really like being more flexible and I like being able to carry heavy stuff. And like mm-hmm. I, I like being strong and like folk and like so this movement like focuses on like those things. Right. Versus like get tight and toned for the summer. Right. We need to like stop associating like a number with someone's health because it's not true. It's not true. Yeah. Ugh. Tamika, do you want to come on in and share all of your thoughts one by one (laughs) up to 35 thoughts? When you were like um, working out just helps my mental health. I wanted to be like and not working out helps mine. (laughs) Hi. Hi. Hello. How's it going? Oh, it's good. Um, what did you think of this episode? Oh, my gosh. It was kind of a wild ride. I was not expecting our guest to go there with her story. But I'm glad that she felt comfortable enough to be vulnerable like that because it's really important to hear people you wouldn't expect go through that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I think it's amazing what life she's built for herself based on the life she was given. Yeah. Um, and, like, just I admire anyone who talks openly about their family shit, because I think that's particularly hard to do because I do feel like, you know, there she is opening herself up to scrutiny of people being like, oh, like you must be bad because your, you know, grandfather, great grandfather was bad. Like, I think that's a thing that people uh, like they believe in bloodlines that way instead of nurture, which is clearly what she's the product of. Mm-hmm. But even more than nurture, because her dad was her co-parent and. He was horrible. Mm. But one beautiful mom can make up for it. It's a protective factor. Yeah. Like, I just think, like, and also her love for her mom is so beautiful. I know. 
What do you guys rate the episode? I rate it um, um, five out of five judgmental of your engagement. <laughs> you're, you're that judgmental of my engagement? Not you. <laughs> oh, my God. Not you. The other people I mentioned. Tamika? Um, two out of two Geminis. Hey. And I'll go with... Minus seven out of 18 diets. Okay, that's interesting. Which means the episode was great, but diets are bad. Okay, I see. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I love that. I get it. And what did we learn from the episode? Um, Gosh, so much. I mean, I mean, everything Rasha said was incredible. I, I learned about um, how you can take pain and turn it into art. How you can mm-hmm. take pain and make it something that can help other people. Um, and about like, you know, taking the the good of your family um, more to heart than the bad. I loved going towards the light. Um, right? I just think that that's such a powerful metaphor and something that we can all strive for. Yeah. And like and like no matter what your situation, that that is mm-hmm. beautiful. Thank you so much to Rasha Pecoraro for being our guest. Just Between Us is hosted by me, Allison Raskin. And me, Gabby Dunn. Our engineer is Brendan Burns. He also composed our killer theme music and has a new album out now. Go check it out. Our producer is Tamika Weatherspoon. Our executive producers are Chris Bannon and Josephine Moderana. Just Between Us is a production of Stitcher. Listen to Brandon's music. Brendan, oh my god. Oh my god. Fuck. I have this I what is this this, this disorder called? Is what dyslexia. I want. Dyslexia. It's called dyslexia. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs>